Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. You know, it's such a shame that it's so hard to find good, honest, legal help these days. Howdy, Dream Cowboys. This is the HBO Boys Podcast. I'm James. With me is Ryan. Hello. We're recapping and reviewing the current HBO film noir genre, mystery, murder, mystery show, Perry Mason. And we are now on Chapter 5, directed by Denise Gamzee-Ergevin and written by Eleanor Burgess. This is the same director who directed Chapter 4, but a brand new writer to the show. And again, whoever is writing it, regardless whoever's writing it, or maybe uh, because of that, you know, each episode, the writing just seems to get better and better. I agree with you. Eleanor Burgess used to be a gaffer, which is the chief electrician on set. That was back in 2006 to 7. Then didn't do anything in entertainment until 2020, where she became a staff writer for Perry Mason and then wrote Chapter 5. Chapter 5 out of 8, so we're in the second half of Perry Mason, perhaps a season one, if if they are deciding that it's seasons and not a miniseries. We don't know that yet. But, yeah, uh, so far, so great. This is my favorite it, episode yet. It's funny, you know, on shows like BoJack or Party Down, they make you know, jokes or plot lines, or it's like, oh, I started out in craft services, and now I'm a Hollywood writer. Like, apparently, that kind of thing happens. Half of Hollywood is that way now. I was an exterminator on Global Guts in the 90s, and now I run Modern Family. Yeah, I walked into the wrong building and got locked in the bathroom of a studio, and now I'm an executive producer. I looked at Steven Spielberg's car once, and now I own Paramount. Chapter 5 begins right where Chapter 4 left off, with Della walking into EB's house. Hey, EB, sorry about the fight we had. I felt pretty bad. Howdy, neighborino. I am feeling some regret. Hopefully that we're not in a place where I can't just, like, talk to you and we can make... Oh, you're, you're, you're dead. Yeah, EB has successfully... Sylvia plast himself, and this method of suicide is now extremely uncommon because ovens don't work like this anymore. But to put your head in the oven used to be a euphemism for suicide because it was a common way to do it, right? And as 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 a you know in high school or whatever, you know when I read about like Sylvia Plath death, I'm like, so what? She put the oven to 450 degrees, and then what like? burned herself alive in the oven no no there's no heat it's just gas coming out she took the eb way out john lithgow is a great dead actor he played a dead guy super well as della walks in she is verklempt and proves herself once again to be the best part of this show by far she calls perry over and take him out of the the kitchen dress him in his pajamas and put him into bed so 
It doesn't look like he committed suicide. He can be slightly more dignified in death. Although, now I'm imagining that they had to get his corpse completely nude and then put him in his pajamas. Perry's like, you know, this is my father figure. Uh, I gotta now, I gotta put him in his pajamas. Don't look at his dong. Don't look at his dong. Right, we did not get Lithgow dong. No. And and, and, and if it, and if not on the HBO show, then probably the ship on that is sailed. I don't yeah, think that's that done now. Jonathan Lithgow will ever in his career do full frontal nudity. Oh, like, that is an opportunity missed. As Perry Mason walks in, Matthew Reese kind of looks like a, a weird but also slightly upset rock as he helps Della out. We port into the slight future where Della is meeting with Central Mutual to talk about the insurance and claims that they will be taking EB's body up north where he came from. Meanwhile, at the Church of the Radiant Divine, they are counting all of the money they got mailed in in donations. Some church worker comes in with a bag full of mail and, you know, a bunch of mail with money falls out and then some snakes fall out on top of that. No, I, you're joking, but basically, there are just some straight-up death threats, and in the middle of this, Sister Alice, like a little girl, is like, can, can I have $25,000, Mom, please? Right, 25k in the 30s, closer to a quarter of a million dollars today, and Bertie's like, no, and the elders are saying no, and Alice says it's fine to spend the cash this way, because... She's going to pull in a bunch of money by doing like an old-fashioned tent revival faith healing sermon. And again, the elders are like, yeah, we're, we're kind of more serious church now. We don't really do that kind of gimmicky stuff anymore. And then Alice flips her shit and starts screaming at them. My church, my rules. Also, this is the first time she's been very stern with her mother. She says, bring me the sick and the weak for me to heal and also give me the 25K or you're fired. Yeah, or you're fired, mom. It has not been her vibe previously. No. Mom, you can pack your shit and get out and I'll see you at dinner tonight. I hope we can get Chinese delivered or something. <laughs> and also, by the way, this moment makes me think that Birdie is definitely the extortionist, if not Alice, in some way. But we shall see. We get a bit of Peter working the case. He's meeting with the detective who was supposed to be on the Dobson case until Ennis swiped it from him. They're investigating a dead lady's apartment and the cat, her cat, she died. Her cat ate her face. I think that all cat owners worry about that to some extent. Oh, that when you die, they won't care about you and slowly but surely eat you alive. Well, not so much. As they're leaving, another beat cop comes over to the detective. He's like, well, I found the cat and it's dead. And it, it looks like a second cat came along and ate the dead cat's face. Goddamn deserved it. This is a cop whom has a beef with Detective Ennis, whom also I have not called Hothead Cool Hat in a few episodes, but I'm bringing that one back. Yeah, get that in a few times. Really have to. This guy's real pissed at Ennis because he paid the division chief to jump in front of him and take the biggest case in the city. And we know that Ennis, you know, had to do that. Because Hothead Cool Hat is a huge part of said case, so is trying to obstruct said justice as much as possible. Meanwhile, at the graveyard up north, Perry and Della meet with Eby's son, who apparently hated him. The actor here who plays Eby's son is, like, doing a really thick John Lithgow impression. I have amazing news for you. That is John Lithgow's actual son. What? Yeah. So... 
it's either a John Lithgow impression or just how he talks. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I haven't many times in my life met a father and son who sound the same, but I'm, I guess it could happen. You know, oftentimes they'll look the same. Either way, the point is this son has no love lost for his father. And when E.B. and Della are like, where is all the people for the funeral? And Byron was like, that is not happening. Okay, anyway, I got to go. Bye. Yeah, yeah, no service. They just bury him upside down in the mausoleum. The family They might as well have thrown his corpse in. (laughs) Yeah, the son is very self-serious. He's like, yeah, we're not doing a service. You guys need a taxi back to the train station or what? No. Okay, good. I, I need to get back to my job at the M&M store. <laughs> if you want to stay here and watch me sell my dad's shit willy-nilly, then you can. But other than that, good day to you. At the hotel, Perry and Della drink to EB. We get a little bit of Della's backstory. She ran away from her conservative rural family in order to live a modern life in the big city. They're back at the hotel. They're smoking bogues. They're drinking. And Della says, I suppose I said thank you to Perry. And he responds, for what? Turning a suicide into a more insurance-friendly demise? Which I just... The moments of levity in this show do very, very well for me. And and we get a line from Perry that just completely spells out the whole Perry Mason philosophy. There's what's legal, and there's what's right. Very 50s Perry Mason. Which maybe you can say that as a defense attorney. I don't think it would work as a defendant. Your Honor, there's what's the legal, and there's what's right, okay? Interesting. Right to jail. <laughs> the next day, Perry leaves the hotel without letting Della know. Just lets her wait there for a while for him to come down. Real nice guy. <laughs> Listen, he's up north. This is where his son and ex-wife live. He has to take this opportunity to just, you know, go meddle around in their lives. The whole thing with E.B. and his son gets Perry to thinking about how he's a shitty father and how he should go visit his estranged son and ex-wife. So he rides in the back of a pickup truck with a bunch of laborers, gets off uh, at the home of his ex-wife Lynn and her sister, I want to say. Is that her sister? I assume. Yeah, probably Cheryl. He shows up a little bit drunk, you know, as always. It's, uh, it's before noon. You, you always have a little bit of a load on, right? Uh- <laughs> well, to be fair, James, he says to Linda immediately when she's like, are you drunk? He's like, oh, just a little bit. But also, EB is dead, so your sympathy is needed in this moment. Please point me to the direction of my son. Right. I'm I'm definitely day drinking because someone died and not because it's something that I do every day. <laughs> this is not an everyday occurrence. Show me where Henry is. And this is, by the way, Linda, played by Gretchen Maul of Boardwalk Empire and 310 to Yuma, which we did a podcast for for the Western Movie Club, which is a whole playlist. Go watch it and see it with your eyes and your ears. And your, thanks. She lets him in because she feels bad about E.B., and when his son, Teddy, sees him, there's a very touching reunion. I called him Henry. Who the fuck's Henry? I just assumed you were doing a drunk Perry Mason impression. False. He just forgot his, his name. He's called his own son Henry. <laughs> yeah, where's Henry? Now we named him Perry, but okie doke. Back in L.A., Emily is released on bail to Alice's house, which is interesting. No relation to these people, but she's going to stay there. And Emily seems a little dubious. She's like, uh, what you said about the whole 
bringing my dead son back to life. Were you joking? Or, or am I going to get my son back? Because it seems not real. So what are the chances that the baby got like faked out, not uh, the real Charlie, and Charlie's still alive somewhere, and this is all Sister Alice's like plan to resurrect him? And they will just be like, oh my god, look, the baby, it's back. I should have to say that you could not fake a one-year-old baby with another. uh, By the time a baby is a year old, it's not like a newborn where they're all kind of wrinkly and pink. You would definitely be able to tell one from the other. Yeah, but this one was real white and had sewn open eyes. So that could be, like, literally, the person's like, this sub baby you got me does not have the same eyes as Charlie does. You know what? I know how to take care of this. Can I have uh, some thread, please? Gross. Back up north, Perry and his ex are arguing about Teddy. Perry wants to be more of a father to him, and Lynn says that he basically can't anymore. It's too late. You're already fucked up too hard. Then Teddy's, and I'm not clear, either his uncle or his stepfather, Eddie, comes home. Right. Is this person married to Cheryl or with Linda? We don't know. But as he walks in, I'm like, oh, I'm sure this male new dad energy will be met with open arms by Perry. Ed is actually like a pretty cool dude. He he's greets Perry open-handedly. He talks to him quite naturally. He clearly has a good rapport with Teddy. He invites Perry to dinner, but Perry's ex already said you're not staying for dinner. So Perry has to shoot him down. And it's just clear in every way that like Ed is a more put together better provider better father figure just you know more of a man than perry in every way and perry's <laughs> and, just... yeah, and, and perry knows it and ed seems amiable he works for spreckle a refined sugar company so it's gonna be a good year for them he says yeah he's gonna Very make nice family bank vibes giving every man woman and child in america obesity over the next couple decades right so right and <laughs> as ed is like you want to stay for dinner? Perry's just like, no. We're having heaping bowls of refined sugar. We have two sons, Henry and Teddy. Uh, Henry's the one we keep in the basement, and we only feed him sugar through a funnel. So you can go feed him before you leave if you'd like. We get a totally different scene now. Paul and his wife, and I really should stop calling her Paul's wife because she has a name. Yeah, asshole. Her name's Clara. Right. Paul and Clara are (laughs) at a, well, they're at a night service at church, but it's not like a sermon. They're watching a debate, and one of the debaters is a reverend who's preaching black liberation theology. And then after that, they're discussing it, and you can see that Paul has on his mind that he agreed with what that guy was saying, but... His wife was like, no, I don't believe in that kind of rhetoric. The Bible says to render under Caesar. So whatever the unjust laws are, we should just follow them. One of the other people in the discussion is like, well, what do you think, Paul? And he's like, I think whatever my wife tells me to think, because I just, yes, dear, my wife constantly. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. At least in public. I'm not trying to get into this right now. But Clara's point is the same as her point that she made to Paul in an earlier episode, which is there's no point in fighting change that's not going to work i'm only worried about me you and our future baby so like it just seems like a whole lot of nonsense that will not directly impact us positively so 
let's just stay over in our corner and be chill, dude. Della goes to Sister Alice's house to see Emily, and they meet with Emily's new cake-loving public defender, Frank Dillon, who is supposed to be reading the case notes, but he's just stuffing his face full of cake. Just yeah. really tucking into that cake and loving it. We totally called this, James. We had already met only two other lawyers, which is Lyle, the guy who worked with EB, and Frank C. Dillon, the dude who was Perry's attorney in episode one and doing a terrible job. And we saw both of those actors come back in this episode. The moment we see Frank Dillon, we're like, well, shit, Emily's going to j- not going to jail. She's dead. Yeah, Emily's she, a dead lady. Della can just see that, oh shit, it's Frank and he sucks. So she goes up behind his back to E.B.'s old partner, Lyle, who obviously she would have some history with. And they talk about how Frank sucks. He's a terrible lawyer. He's got a small dick and they need to replace him. Wow. With someone with big dick energy. That's exact. You're quoting line for line. This is how it, they it, talked in the 30s. Yeah, that's true. And, and she's like, I got a list of lawyers who are on fleek. Okay. Okay, James. (laughs) Lyle says that the case is hopeless and no lawyer is going to want to take it and just like totally eat shit and lose and hurt their own reputation. He also thinks that the DA selected Frank purposely. Yeah, it's like, well, they picked a shitty lawyer on purpose to lose. Later on, perhaps the next day, Paul and Claire are on a double date at the beach. His friend is trying to talk to him about quitting being a cop and opening a trucking business together but it's clear that paul likes his job or you know at least likes the idea of of trying to help people and do the right thing doesn't want to leave it they're having a nice time until the cops come and kick them out they're saying oh the beach is closed but it's not they're just being racist and kicking black people off the beach paul tries to use the clout that he's a cop to get out of it and the cops are like well you're not a cop in this town so we don't give a fuck hey james Mm. something awful is gonna happen to clara and that baby it sucks what happened to them with these cops on the beach and i was like i sure wish william from watchman he's also living in the 30s he should take a trip out to uh these cops too jeez the cop was literally just like pick your things up or i'll throw it in the ocean get the fuck off <laughs> like jesus christ peter is still tailing detective ennis ennis figures it out goes to talk to him tries to play it cool He takes Peter to the Chinese brothel from the previous episode and tries to sweet-talk him. He says, yeah, there are discrepancies in the case, but it's Holcomb's fault, not my fault. So you should look at him and not at me, and I'll, I'll pay for you to have sex with this prostitute. Hey, James. Yeah. Something bad's gonna happen to Pete Strickland. Right. Because these characters are not in the later Perry Mason, so the fear is that... They have a a bad fate ahead of them. Like, I mean, for Paul's wife, she could just leave him and make it out yeah, alive. I, I <laughs> guess. I just... This is being coined as a dark origin story. Clara and Pete are both being pushed to the same edge of the same cliff, and they can't see because it's dark, and they're about to be pushed off. They are both going to get thrown under a truck for Paul Drake to become Perry Mason's right-hand man, it feels like. Later that night, in bed, Paul is still angry about what happened at the beach, and he relates it back to what they had heard during the debate, and his wife Claire apologizes for what she said at the party and admits that she was wrong about it. So, yeah, this is not looking great for her. (laughs) No, God, this looks so bad. I bet she will come out to be correct, by the way, the first time. 
And when she totally gets murdered, he'll blame himself, which will, will be super dark, which is what they're going for. Peter meets with Perry and tells him what he's learned about Detective Venice, that he forced his way into leading the investigation, that he was the first one at the scene of the shooting of the kidnappers, and that he was also first on the scene at George Gannon's suicide, which is not even his jurisdiction. So, like, what was he doing all the way out there? Being a felon. So, yeah, they've got they got a pretty good case against Ennis, actually. So it's all pretty much coming together uh, for the big trial, which is sure to come up soon. Right, but, like, that big trial can't go without a few speed bumps. And, again, I firmly believe Clara, the baby, and Pete are those speed bumps. Alice gives her faith-healing sermon while, outside, the church elder whose name I never caught, the one who doesn't like Alice and doesn't like the whole uh, blasphemy that she's doing. Elder Brown. There we go. He's holding a protest, which is counting down to Easter Sunday, which is when Alice prophesied she would return Charlie to life. And he announces, and this is so funny to me, that they have founded a reformed church of the Radiant Divine. So this church hasn't even been around that long, and they already had a schism and a reformation <laughs> had to happen. He wants to restore the church to its noble white Christian origins. I was like, Jesus Christ. Everybody's a gosh dang racist, James. In the church, Alice is speaking in tongues. She sounds a lot like Daenerys speaking High Valerian to me. <laughs> mm. Uh, Dracarys. Whoa. Are you telling a dragon to light the man in a wheelchair on fire? <laughs> Which, by the way... She's straight up trying to shame him out of his chair. Right, but she somehow gets this this lame man to his feet, but but yeah, not with a miracle. She's like, get out of the chair, you old bitch. Stand up. Yeah. Fuck you, stand up, idiot. And Emily is psyched. She's there. She's getting pointed at by Sister Alice. The guy in the chair's name is Robert. Do you think Robert's a plant? Well, they do these kind of faith healing like tent revival things you see videos online where it's like oh i can't see and then the preacher slaps you in the face you're like oh i can see again and perhaps with robert he's not like fully paraplegic he's got some kind of condition maybe it's very painful for him to walk but when he's filled with this kind of religious fervor he's able to push through the pain or something i don't I, I, there's probably some mundane explanation for not just what happened in this episode but you know the real life times that it's based on it's the placebo effect right but it's like the placebo effect on steroids because you know you're so you're filled with zealous belief or something Robert, you only stubbed your toe, you idiot. Get out of the chair. Also, by the way, as Robert a plant was a purposeful Led Zeppelin joke that did not work. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I get it now. But yeah, I my, my I jokes are shit. Dude. <laughs> kind of a stretch. You're a stretch. Fuck you. Here's a funny story. Um, okay. One time when Led Zeppelin was on tour, the other members were trying to watch a movie while Robert Plant was in the other hotel room having extremely loud sex, right? Sure. And the entire time, the lead guitar player, whose name is now escaping me... Jimmy Page? Jimmy Page is telling him to shut the fuck up and keep it down, and Robert Plant doesn't listen to him and continues to have too loud sex, and Jimmy Page gets really angry, and he takes a shit in Robert Plant's shoes. True story. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Rock and roll, right? Rock and yeah. roll used to be so cool. Male friendship used to used to be different. Ish, yeah. 
It was a lot more about shit in the old days. What uh, what show are we talking about again? <laughs> Game of Thrones, I think. Della is calling up every name on her list, and they're all telling her to buzz off. She, you know, she's basically saying this is like uh, artists online. It's like, okay, I can't pay you, but you'll be paid in exposure. Mm, that never works out. And she also, by the way, goes and talks to Frank, who is sitting in EB's chair, which like uh don't fucking don't and as frank calls the da's office della picks up the phone and listens to the conversation and frank is just straight up telling maynard barnes about everything in the office and everything about the case so as we predicted frank is a bitch pawn yeah and della like a mean girl three-way calls him and hears all this and steals all the evidence and hides it in her room and then she writes, Frank Dillon is a fugly skank in her burn book. And then later, about a decade or two later, Tina Fey turns that burn book into a hit musical. Yeah, so she plays dumb. He's like, where's the new evidence you mentioned? She's like, oh, I must have just, you know, in, in my my womanly ways, I forgot about it. Tee hee hee, you know how it is. And, and you know, he buys that because he's an idiot. And she takes the evidence and with the help of her girlfriend, she hides it in her boarding house good for her yeah fuck that guy and a total perry mason move and she even quotes perry she's like there's what's legal and there's what's right she's learning from our boy that's what i'm gonna use from now on it's like oh hey you're not supposed to jump the turnstile at the subway officer there's what's legal and there's what's right okay but i don't live in korea and i can't (laughs) get you out of jail so just like know that going into it (laughs) <laughs> and when we're supposed to be recording and I'm just sitting here and your wife is just like, oh, yeah, no, he jumped the turnstile. And I'm not sure how Korea works, but I assume you're in jail for, what, 10, 15 years? It is actually really funny. But, well, when my cousin came to visit me for my wedding in Korea years ago, he 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 didn't know how to work like the uh, like the magnetic card that you use instead of like putting coins in like you would do in New York City. You just have a card that you put money on and you beep it to get into the subway. Could not figure that out. He was jumping the turnstile for days. And I'm like, dude, you will get into a lot of trouble for that. Please stop. A few things. One, you definitely don't use coins in New York City. Everything would okay. be chaos. All right. <laughs> well, when I was, when I last time I was on the subway in New York City about 10 years ago. They what, did. 1998? <laughs> also, by the way, yes, your cousin, I can't believe he wasn't taken away. Dozens of times he was just jumping through stuff. Uh, I mean, I Can't. wonder if the, if the the Korean cops were like, ah, it's just some white backpacker, let him go. He doesn't know, he's dumb. So are we talking about season 8 of Game of Thrones still? Or? No, this time we're talking about step by step, oddly enough. Emily and Alice visit Charlie's grave, and Emily is overcome with emotion because she hasn't actually been able to visit the grave site yet, and now she has totally drank the Kool-Aid and is like, so... When you resurrect Charlie, is he going to be a month older or what? (laughs) Do you have to dig him up to do this? And Sister Alice didn't say anything, but the inference there is like, oh, I mean, yeah. Oh, a lot of lot of pressure on me to bring this kid back to life now. She said it, dude. No one else's fault but hers. And by the way, the camera shot in this scene is so cool. They waited till golden hour to do this shit, and it was worth it. Perry comes to EB's office and finds Frank behind the chair. And so uh, he gets a little upset, and mm. he throws some books at Frank and chokes him a little bit and chases mm. him off. 
Those books looked heavy, too. And out of one of them, he took a flask and started drinking it. And Frank is like, you know, that's illegal. And he's like, well, the buying and the selling and the transferring of it is sure illegal, Frank. But the me drinking it is actually okay. So he's just like, you know, giving law lessons aggressively to the shitty lawyer. The lawyer uh, eventually leaves afraid. And he's like, I got some friends downtown, Mason. I got my friend joey downtown uh he's a baker but uh he's a tough guy (laughs) he owns knives you know that much later Dell and perry are discussing the very weak case against emily and perry just starts to go off talking about in all the ways in which the state's case is not very strong and how they're just gonna have to convict emily for being a cheater which maybe they can do if they get some old holy roller like biddies on the jury. And Dell is listening to Perry go off like, oh, this is how the state's gonna fuck her over, but this and this and this works in her favor. And the light bulb goes off above Della's head, and she starts typing up some forged documents, which she then forges EB's signature on. So, in this origin story, Perry Mason would never have become a lawyer if it wasn't for Della motherfucking Street. Right, and and E.B. committing suicide. Sure, there's also that. Also, by the way, Emily Dodson doesn't have to eat the sins of Los Angeles is a thing that a drunk Perry Mason just babbles out. And while Della's like, yes, yes. Right, well, that's just another piece of the really excellent writing in this episode, because a sin eater is like a type of mythical witch doctor who, like, absorbs all the sin and the bad deeds of everyone in the village and just kind of holds it in and has to take all the punishment for all that bad stuff, but then everyone else gets to walk free, and he's kind of making that comparison to Emily, which is apt. I agree with your assessment. So we're talking about, uh... How the West was fun, right? Yes, starring both Olsons, you know, before one was lost. All three, actually. All three Olsons. Christ, you're right. It was Ashley. Next, they go to Emily and Sister Alice to ask to be their new representation. Perry, according to these forged documents, was apprenticing under E.B. all this time, and I don't know, he's got a... That gave him enough college credits, so now he just needs to pass the bar exam. Which is in two and a half weeks. And I'll tell you, coming into this show, I did not assume that Perry Mason was going to be the actual fucking lawyer of the case versus Maynard Barnes. But it feels organic, right? Yes. This is going to be... I assumed he would just be be either helping EB or helping a shill. But no... He is going, this is Maynard Barnes versus Perry Mason, the heavyweight battle of the goddamn century, and I'm here for it. And I, it's just, it's very clever, the way that they've set this up. In, you know, we, again, we always talk about Game of Thrones, no matter what show we are talking about, we're actually talking about Game of Thrones. And, and the last yep. two seasons, these plot points which needed to happen, happened so quickly and felt so forced. But actually... Everything that sort of happened in the the first four episodes led to this. And you and I were saying, like, last episode, is it legal for, you know, for some random schmuck to represent you in court? But, like, Della found a way to make it work. Well, to be fair, the way to make it work is for Perry to become a lawyer. Right, well, for, for, for EB to die, basically. 
Oh, I keep forgetting that part. It's exactly how it was in the 1950s now, where Perry Mason was basically a PI and a lawyer simultaneously, which is exactly how he was brought up. He was like, I'm just going to do my own shit. I'm going to fabricate my own evidence, and we're going to win every battle put in front of me. Let's do this. Right, and if he can make the rent money to hold on to EB's office, he's already got like a pre-made lawyer's office to move right into. Right, he's the associate now. I'm the associate now. Emily agrees and signs over power of attorney to Perry, which, you know, gets rid of their traitorous, incompetent lawyer, Frank Dillon, who is probably, you know, downtown eating some cake. Let him eat cake. Later on at a diner, Della introduces Perry to a new character. This is, well, a new character to this series, but a classic character from the 1950s. Hamilton Burger. Oh my god. Deputy District Attorney. Goddamn Hamburglar, baby. And he is played by Justin Kirk. Of Who I Weeds love. And Angels, Angels in, America. in America. Which is so And good. somehow Della just knows this dude. And this is the goddamn Hamburglar. And if you don't know, in the original 1950s Perry Mason, Perry Mason goes for nine seasons and he kicks the shit out of the DA for all nine seasons. Every single time. Like and, and even, times. even when Burger wins, he seems it to is like not still for real. Get, yeah, he doesn't seem to really get one over on Perry. But in this origin story, apparently the Hamburglar is who taught Perry Mason how to pass the bar exam only for him to eventually get the floor wiped by Perry Mason for his entire career. Fucking the spider web in this show as it's coming together. The show got better, James. It used to be okay, and now it's great. I wonder, I hope, I assume they didn't get Justin Kirk to come in and just do this one scene. So I think he is now going to be like their man on the inside of the district attorney's office, the way Frank Dillon was inside the defense. I hope so. The IMDB says he's only in one episode. What? So, yeah, I mean, I hope that's not true. Also, by the way, it says the actress who plays Clara is only in five episodes. Oh, boy. Which, yeah. Oh, but, oh, you know, this is wrong. This is stupid. It says Birdie is in four episodes. IMDB is the suck. But I don't think Birdie was in the first episode, so. But oh, she will God, be in what? the next one, probably. I What's see. happening to Birdie? Anyway, that that IMDb page might might only be accurate up until what's been aired. Oh my god! No, I'm so sorry, James. This is the IMDb page of the New Adventures of Old Christine. Okay, well that makes sense. Yeah, that tracks. So the last scene in the episode is Perry being sworn in. I assume after having passed the bar exam, I was kind of hoping for a montage of him like studying and you know. Late into the night, he falls asleep into the book, and then, you know, Della nudges him and gives him a cup of coffee, like, get back into that studying. We, we didn't get <laughs> Yeah, what would the song be over that montage? You know, something from the 30s. No. Upbeat montage song. No, it's the 30s, so it would be the fucking Andrew Sisters or something. <laughs> yeah, but this is Perry Mason, made in 2020. We don't have to condemn ourselves to music of the 30s. Lizzo's juice is playing as <laughs> Perry Mason slowly but surely learns what's on the bar exam. No, it's fucking, this is my fight song. Which is what? What is that song? You don't know that song? Of course I know that song. I was asking what its name is. It's just called Fight Song. Are you sure it is? It's called Fight Song? <laughs> By Rachel Platten, which is not a good name. 
What? I don't know. What TV show are we talking about now? <laughs> but yeah, like you said, this uh, now I'm fucking hyped. And I hope the last three episodes are all trial. I would be psyched with that. Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was so excited. I was bi- I was straight shadow boxing. And I typed in all capital letters and I made uh, the font bold and made the letters as big as I possibly could. And I said, are you fucking kidding me, dude? He is the goddamn lawyer. And now the Hamburglar got him there. This is so good. I, I, this is a show that suffered a bit at the beginning from a, Hey, this doesn't feel like Perry Mason for all the people who watched it in the beginning. And then also it was a little slow and a little weird at the beginning. And there was a dead baby very, very quickly, but goddamn. The people who get five episodes into this show are are being rewarded for their time. And now, if there is a season two, it would be pretty cool if Justin Kirk came back as, like, you know... So once they proved that Maynard Barnes was did all this illegal misconduct in the Dobson trial, his career is destroyed. Hamilton Burgess rises up to da and now he's kind of going toe-to-toe with perry in season two season two which is now being very strongly hinted at but i'm sure you know will be completely uh debunked once the season ends because that's what hbo likes to do they like to just you know cock and ball torture you like they're gonna do a second season and then they never do you know what they also like to do uh not market this show at all Right. This show had a, a budget of $75 million, clearly a, like a large project for them, and they are not pushing it at all. The demo it needs to hit, which is 18 to 49, is not being captured, and there's like no social media for it whatsoever. I d- it's hard to understand. That season two might be a long shot. What's their alternative? Like, what's the point? Is there a conversation where they're like, don't push Perry Mason, it's $75 million down the drain? Or did, like, they forget, like, show Danny does of the Iron Fleet, and is it equally as stupid? Let's just, you know, if we're not going to do Perry Mason Season 2, then we fucking do Watchmen Season 2, you set it in the 30s, you make William the main character, you have it be about the Minutemen. God damn it. Wow. You're getting heated. Or I'm going to handcuff myself to HBO headquarters. All right, and I'm not going to wear a mask while I do it, so everyone Jesus will be upset. Christ, dude. Yeah, just you and your cousin both going to be put into the clink. Well, HBO headquarters is in New York City. So if you do come, yeah, back, I'm going to take dude, the subway all the way there and I'm going to jump every turnstile. God, you are a rebel without a cause. I suppose your cause is for someone to actually tweet about Perry Mason for God's sakes. Hi right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. I guess to sum up, I would say that Robots, not the best CGI movie I ever saw, but, um... What the fuck? I'm going on with the we don't know what we're talking about review joke. Oh. It's dead now. It's dead now. It's dead like... It's dead like EB is dead, Claire is about to be, and Pete Strickland's about to be, too. Goodbye, all of you. If you're just listening, it means a lot to us. If you want to go the extra mile, you can follow us on Twitter. He's at WestworldRyan. I'm at JamesWatchesMen. Hashtag lol. You can also subscribe to us on any of the relevant podcast apps and follow us on SoundCloud. If you would really like to go and support the show, you can find us on Patreon. We're the HBO Boys for just a dollar a month. 
you will get two bonus episodes every month and access to our private patrons-only Discord, and we will shout you out at the end of every episode. Like I'm about to do right now. Bronco, Hardboiled, Greg, Nicole, Dave, Eleven Podcast, James, Watch My Dong. Ah, I'm okay. God, you need to put some time into this. I, I never see, I never have it coming. <laughs> so I always, I'm always it, surprised. It, it happens time. every week, every single week. Finish the names. No, I'm just so disappointed. Fine, I'm gonna do it, but I don't want to. Cliff Wilding, hello underscore your James Christopher, atheism is unstoppable. Chris Wood, Brent Kin, Day Eleven, Westworld, Kao Andreas, Lee, Craig, Bakaman, John Jurz, and Major Woody. Thank you for the money. And yeah, again, one dollar a month, a bunch of content. You get to you you just uh, you get to know that you're helping create this show where I said the words step by step this time. So money well spent. And uh, we just did a very long review on Disney Plus's Hamilton, and we'll have a new bonus episode coming out later this week. We, we the topic will? of which will, will to be determined. Well, we we, we should because I like I like <laughs> that every time we're about to do a bonus episode, I learn about it on right. air. You you're just now realizing that it's been two weeks since the last one. Yeah, I just like how you're you're roping me in. You're like, by the way, I said it on the show already, so we gotta do it. Every two weeks. It's been two weeks. I know how calendars work, kind of. I'm James, he's Ryan. This has been the HBO Boys Podcast. I'm Ryan. No, I I said your name for you. That was a power move. And this is the HBO, HBO Boys, Boys Podcast. 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 <laughs> I'm editing this, so I'm going to definitely be the last <laughs> yeah, one to I'm say the word podcast. cut you out, and I'm going to edit in a standing ovation at the end. Podcast. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.